today on Act News Daily. That just really, it really proved to me and Valine that that's, you know, that that we can continue doing these hard topics and, um, and you know, bringing oxygen to them essentially and, and making sure that they get aired out. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, before we forget again, we've got to talk about the Fieldwork Podcast. They're sponsoring today's episode, and they are another fellow podcast hosted by Mitchell Hora and Zach Johnson, the millennial farmer and Mitchell Horia. We've had on quite a few times to the podcast. They're talking all things sustainable ag on this latest season that launched a few weeks ago. Ago, talking about farm innovation, carbon markets, sustainability standards. And I believe Mitchell is actually going to be sitting in on one of those carbon panels that we'll be focusing on next week's podcast, Ashton, that you'll be a part of sitting in on. Yeah, I'm really excited to be a part of those sessions. I feel like I haven't done a session, oh gosh, I guess since NAFB, which was back in the fall. Yeah. So Mitchell's Obviously, one of the thought leaders when it comes to carbon markets, he does a ton of it. They're talking about it on this latest season of the Fieldwork Podcast, and you can check it out wherever you get your podcasts or check them out on fieldworktalk.org. But Ashton, other than that, uh, let's get into some news for today. What do you say? Let's do it. What have you been watching this afternoon? Well, I tell you what, I had a good interview this morning with the U.S. Grains Council's director of China in Beijing, a gentleman by the name of Brian Lomar. We were talking a little bit today about the impact of African swine fever's new strain and how what that looks like from a ground level, because he's actually located in China, working for U.S. Grains Councils, obviously uh, watching right now very closely to see export sales and how this will play out with this new stream. He said that I, I asked him a very pointed question. I said, are we back to pre-African swine fever levels? And he said, absolutely not. Um, he also said, Ashton, that the June timeline that they have is not very realistic uh, to rebuilding their hog herd. So I think we're getting a lot of mixed signals from China because today their agricultural ministry said that their hog herd, their sow herd specifically here, edged 1% higher from January to February. And they're saying that the country is pretty much back to normal. But as we know, China is not always a super honest, we'll say, when it comes to releasing media and news and information. And that certainly seems to be the case here. Uh, As you look at the African swine fever story, continued story, uh, you know, their hog herd is something like 400 million head. And Brian was sharing with me today that there's just no way they're back to that level. We also discuss a little bit about continued demand for from China moving forward. And he said that China really is focusing on trying to have a multi-country approach when it comes to trade. And while that may seem a little concerning to farmers, thinking that Brazil, Ukraine, Russia, other countries may step in and take up some of the lion's share of exports, he said that it's really just positive. He thinks that China is going to continue to look for other global partners 
It means they're willing to come to the table. It means that they are creating a reliance on the global marketplace and not trying to be self-sufficient. We also saw that, Ashton, I've got one more piece of news and then I'll be quiet. We also saw uh, that echoed, I think his comments echoed today, by another U.S. export sale to 696,000 tons today of corn, again delivered to China for this current marketing year. So this is the third consecutive day. Now we've seen China step in and make some purchases. And although markets weren't super excited by the news, it is very positive that we are continuing to see them come to the buying table, Ashton. Well, Delaney, that's a lot to digest, but I'm definitely glad that you made those points because I think it's important for us to continue to pay attention to those kinds of things that are going on in the news and in the market and really just in the the global space, I guess, if you want to call it. But uh, one thing that we have been really talking about is diversity. We've done a couple of interviews in the past, you know, few weeks or so talking about diversity in agriculture. And it looks like the U.S. is not the only country that is looking to diversify the ag sector. According to state-owned Industrial Development Corporation and the South African government, the country has set up a 5 billion rand, which is about the equivalent of $340 million fund to help black farmers gain access to capital and boost their role in commercial agriculture. The joint agri-industrial fund is aimed at easing the funding constraints and entry barriers to commercial agriculture facing black farmers. In South Africa, agriculture contributes around 1% GDP and has been a bright spot in the country's economy, which was already in recession before the COVID-19 pandemic and deteriorated last year after the government imposed a strict lockdown to curb the pandemic. The IDC will provide 4 billion rand via debt and quasi-debt over the next three years, while the government will provide a grant of 1 billion rand. Access to funding has become more challenging for new farmers after state-owned land bank, which was the country's largest agricultural-focused lender, missed debt repayments last year and had its credit ranking cut, forcing it to seek financial assistance from the government. And this fund will assist Black producers and investors in developing, expanding, and acquiring farming operations. It will aim to establish high-value export-oriented crops, competitive contract growers in the poultry, pork, and beef sector, and develop agro-processing. So like I said, it sounds like the U.S. isn't the only country that is trying to diversify the ag sector, and some movements are being seen across the world. Yes, it certainly sounds that way, Ashton. Uh, very interesting that you pick up on that. Um, I guess when I think about other countries, you know, the U.S. definitely strikes me as one of the most diverse countries when it comes to different backgrounds. But interesting that there are other countries doing that as well. I've got some other Chinese news, Ashton, because we are seeing today the first face-to-face -face meeting is going on in Anchorage, Alaska, between the United States and China. There are expected to be quite a few top-level officials at this meeting. And um, yesterday, I think I mentioned, you know, why did they pick Anchorage, Alaska? Well, I've got the answers to that question, Ashton. I didn't realize this, but Anchorage, Alaska is pretty much, not quite, but pretty much halfway in between the 
White House, and Beijing. Anchorage, Alaska is roughly 3,964 miles from Beijing and 3,355 miles from the White House. And so I think that was part of the reason they had that meeting there today. But on the U.S. side, we've got Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, and on the other side of the table, a couple top-level diplomats for China, including their Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. So this will be the first of hopefully just a few, or hopefully the first of many meetings to come here between the United States, because it has been a little chilly on that front for a little while now since the Biden administration has fully taken over. So hopefully we'll have some updates tomorrow, Ash, and we'll have to make sure we watch for that to see if any news does come out on the U.S.-China front. Delaney, you're always with it when it comes to the Chinese news. So I'm, I'm glad that we have you to talk about that kind of stuff because I don't think I pay as much attention to it as you do. Well, I like it, first of all. I mean, I am fascinated by geopolitical and trade events, trade developments. So, yes, I guess I do keep track of it, maybe more than the average person, but it's kind of my nerd out space, if that makes sense. See, guys, we, we don't share the same brain completely. <laughs> no, no, we, we definitely some don't. Differences. We might sound kind of the same, but yeah. Well, Delaney, I am watching a piece of news today concerning the Halls Act because it has been reintroduced by Republican Senator Deb Fisher of Nebraska. And should I got to I got to pause you there for a second, because this is not something I've kept on up on. What is the Halls Act or what will it do? So the Halls Act, um, it's been some time since I've talked about it, but um, I guess bottom line, it just is kind of dealing with livestock transportation, hence the Halls Act. Um, but it has it's addressing three issues. And the big one that this new story is talking about is the eliminating of hours of service exemptions, because when we're dealing with live halls, we don't, you know, during the pandemic, stores shut down at earlier hours. And so, you know, the same was kind of done in the livestock hauling industry. And when we're hauling live animals, we can't just do it on, you know, a, a limited basis. And so that's kind of what the Halls Act is there to do to eliminate those hours of service exemptions. And so I, I kind of just spit it out there, kind of um, not really in a rhythmic way, but that's really just the basis of it. It's been reintroduced in this bill uh, would also authorize a 150 air mile exemption along with defining agricultural commodities. And, you know, it was reintroduced by Deb Fisher. And I think she is the one who introduced it in the first place um, some time ago. I really can't remember. There's been so many acts and different things that have gone on that it's just kind of left my mind. Um, but 17 states don't provide any exemptions for haulers during planting or harvesting. So that's kind of a big issue that they're wanting to tackle as well. So a couple of key issues that are kind of, I guess, up for debate right now. But uh, we'll see if this legislation goes through. I'm, for one, kind of hoping that it does. Um, just when we're talking about hauling, I think that, you know, the people that are involved in that sector of the industry kind of have it tough sometimes. So anything that we can do to help them, you know, make their lives easier, I guess, is a positive. Yeah, absolutely. And now I do understand what you're saying. When you said halls, I was thinking H-A-L-S. 
you're saying H-A-U-L-S. So halls. Yes, this uh, will be hopefully helpful for livestock haulers. I'm glad you're keeping up on that one, Ashton, because that one was way not on my radar. But one thing that is on my radar, Ashton, is the markets. What do you say we chat markets for today? Let's do it. All right. Well, taking a look at the grains today, we had some pretty major sell-offs in the corn and soybean markets. They're certainly not uh, not excited about the continued Chinese demand that we are having. Today, May corn closed down 12 and a half cents to end at 545 and a quarter. July down 13 and a quarter cents to close at 529 and a quarter. Soybeans also down pretty hard today. The May contract shedding 25 and three quarters centicles at 13.92. The November down 29 and a quarter centicles at 12.06 and a quarter. Chicago wheat pulled lower today as well by corn and soybeans as the May contract down 10 and a quarter centicles at 6.29 and a quarter. The July down at nine and three quarters cents to close at 6.20 and three quarters. Taking a look at the livestock markets today, they were also mostly lower as the April live cattle contract shed 85 cents to close at 118.57 and a half. The June down $2.37 and a half cents to close at 119.65. Feeder cattle down pretty hard in some of the deferred month contracts as we saw not quite limit down moves in the April and May. April down $3.22.5 to close at 141.42.5. The May down 3.55 to close at 146.62. Lean hogs had just slight strength today in the April contract as they added 62.5 cents to close at 94.30. The June still above $100 just barely. They shed 230 today to close at $100.02 per hundredweight. And hopping over to take a look at the dairy class three milk futures today. They were also lower today with the April contract shedding two cents to close at 17.39. The May down three cents to close at 17.90. Ashton, I mentioned at the top of the hour, we were talking the Fieldwork podcast. Now we're going to talk about the Millennial Ag podcast, which is one of the newest podcasts to join the Global Ag Network. Well, for today's Thursday afternoon interview, I'm very excited to announce a new podcast that is coming to Global Ag Network, and that is the Millennial Ag Podcast, hosted by Valine Lickley and Catherine Lotspeech. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today as guests. We're certainly excited to get a little bit more of your background and learn about your Millennial Ag Podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Baleen, I'll start with you. You have a very interesting background in agriculture. Tell us a little bit about that, and then Catherine will hear from you next. Thanks, Delaney. Yeah, it's I grew up um, southern Idaho, fifth generation farm and ranch. Um, my grandparents homesteaded here in 1908, so cows and horses are deep in my blood. Um, and when I went off to college, I decided to to venture a little outside of that because. Um, Math was always one of my strong suits, so I pursued my civil engineering degree. But like I said, production agriculture was in my vein, so I worked at the feedlot, took animal science classes, and decided to try to engineer for agriculture. So I ended up um, getting connected with ag professionals early on in my college education intern forum and ended up joining them full-time, and now I'm Recently relocated back to southern Idaho, working for him as a licensed engineer, uh, doing a lot of drainage 
and um, feedlot and dairy design. So I'm super excited to be back in Southern Idaho and um, continue our Millennial Ag podcast. It's been kind of fun. We started it about a couple years ago and just kind of been fun to dive into anything and everything agriculture from a millennial point of view. So we're super excited to be a part of the Global Ag Network and can't wait to broaden our network and, and make more connections. And Catherine, tell us a little bit more about your background. Yeah, so I grew up on a large dairy in Utah. Um, you know, was very involved. My parents are uh, full partners in it and was involved with everything from uh, breeding cows in the summertime when I was out of school to uh, herd health, um, taking care of newborn calves and their mothers and, you know, everything everything that goes on on a dairy Um and then I went to school, started out at California Polytech, but transferred back to Utah State. Um, my degree is in dairy science and agricultural leadership. Um, the dairy industry is is what I love and where I want to be. And um, that transferred me to Colorado, actually, about five years ago. And my husband and I um, live and work just outside of uh, Greeley, Colorado, and and in, in agriculture, and that's, um, you know, the place that we want to be. So uh, Millennial Ag started, like Valine said, about a year and a half ago. And we we look at um, everything through everything. <laughs> we look we look at um, issues in agriculture and news in agriculture through the through the lens of two millennials who come from different backgrounds. But uh, Valine and I um have found a lot of common ground and really enjoy looking at how our diverse perspectives um, color what we think about agriculture and and how we how we view some of these issues that we talk about. So I'm not sure which one of you wants to answer this, and I might just get some feedback from the both of you. But when we're talking about you know perspectives in agriculture, obviously you both are giving the millennial perspective, but there's been so much talk about millennials and boomers and Gen Z, and, you know, they all share different perspectives. So why do you think that, you know, the, um, the different perspectives are so different? And what do you think the benefit is to having, you know, the millennial view specifically on, you know, the Global Ag Network? I'll jump in and then Catherine can top it off because she ends up finishing my sentences um, and we end up being on the same wavelength anyway. Um, the millennial perspective, um, we've often felt like, you know, we get tagged as the whiny generation or the ones that don't work hard. And, and, and there's a lot of stereotypes that go with millennials. And so some of that is we want to break down those stereotypes, but we also want to start those hard conversations between different generations. Sometimes it's within our own generation, but it's also, you know, our parents' generation, the boomer generation, the generation coming after us and starting to stir those conversations that nobody else has really wanted to have, you know, racism, mental health, uh, COVID's impact on the markets, on personal family finances, on what have you, and start having those conversations that that it's really hard to have, um, but starting to stir those conversations because our generation is the one coming up in production ag. We're anywhere from um, about 20 to 40 right now. So we're, we're in the thick of this. We're starting to take over operations. We're starting to put our, our place in the world and we want to give our perspective. It's a little bit different. Um, we don't want to neglect anybody that's come before us 
um, and all the hard work they've put in. But we also want to make a place for the millennials and show that we do have a little different perspective and start those conversations and see how we can't all work together to continue to push production animal agriculture forward. Uh, so when you two look at uh, the way that you gather topics or put together you know, who your interview is going to be for the day, if you guys do that frequently or not. Um, how do you go about deciding which topics you're going to discuss? Some feedback from our listeners, but we try to go with a lot of current events, um, see what's going on in the world and, you know, try to have a, a millennial perspective on it and get guests who are millennials um, who maybe have expertise in that area that we can we can pull in to have those kinds of conversations and they're not always millennial guests. Um, you know, sometimes, well, oftentimes, you know, we'll have the older generation, um, to give their perspective too. Um, but looking at current events is, is generally how we decide, um, which direction we want to take a podcast episode that week. So, what is one of your, your favorite topics that you guys have discussed? I mean, you're covering just about everything under the sun. So I imagine it might be hard to nail down a favorite, but if you were to choose what, what's been one of your favorite topics to talk about on the podcast? Ooh, that's a good one. Cause there's been a lot for me. There's been a lot of fun guests that I, you know, have been able to meet. Amanda Radke was fun. Um, connecting with some old professors and teachers and friends and, we had a vegan on um, one time too, to bring that perspective. Um, but I think one of the most enlightening episodes um, that I've had was the racism one. Um, and we dove into racism and I have to tell you, it made, made me a little uncomfortable. It made some of our listeners uncomfortable, but it was really, really refreshing to start those hard conversations and to continue those com conversations even now past what, what has happened over the summer and continue to try to make a difference in our communities revolving around those hot topics. And we're not all going to kind of agree, but at least starting those conversations and showing that civility can happen around those really tough conversations has been really rewarding for me. Yeah, we actually have been starting to dive into that a little bit more. And I think partially part of that is driven by this administration. They've talked about in agriculture, they want to include a lot more diversity. We've had some folks already on in the past few weeks that have talked about it, but it is a really uncomfortable conversation to have. Uh, so I think it's fantastic that you guys are not shying away from these harder subjects. Um, when you do tackle these hard subjects, though, you know, we have another podcast in the network that talks a lot about mental health, which is another really hard topic to talk about for rural America. What kind of feedback have you been getting from listeners? Um, and, you know, what what have you learned from that so far? We did um, May Mental Health Month last year, and um, it was incredible the feedback that we got because Valine and I were both... Um, a little bit nervous about the kind of feedback that we were going to get. We weren't sure if we were going to get pushback or if people weren't going to like what we were doing, but by and large, um, really we had very, very positive feedback and that was a really exciting thing to, to, um, be a part of and, and to understand people really do want to hear about these hard topics. Um, 
And it's interesting because we didn't get a lot of public feedback, but we got a lot of um, direct messages, private messages of people saying this really needs to be talked about. Thank you so much for bringing it up. And, you know, that just really, it really proved to me and Valine that that's, you know, that, that we can continue doing these hard topics and, um, and, you know, bringing oxygen to them essentially and, and making sure that they get, aired out um because like you said it's really hard to to talk about these sorts of things in rural america um but they're they're critical conversations that we have to have um people are thinking about them you know individually even if they aren't ready to join the conversation themselves and so it was really refreshing to to know that people were interested in in hearing about them and encouraged us to keep going with it Well, ladies, our listeners can listen to the Millennial Ag Podcast on the Global Ag Network, of course, but where can they catch up and find you guys on social media? We're on all major social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, millennial underscore ag. Um, You can also email us directly, talk to us at millennialag.com. And we also have a website, millennialag.com. So there's a few ways, whether you want to Find us on social media or directly through email or our website. Awesome. Well, ladies, thank you again so much for coming on to the Ag News Daily Podcast to talk about your podcast, the Millennial Ag Podcast. Lots of podcasts going on, but thank you again so much for for coming on and talking to us today. Thank you for the opportunity. It's exciting to visit with you guys, and we're seriously excited to be part of the Global Ag Network. Yeah, we appreciate the opportunity and can't wait to continue these conversations in the future. Well, I'm super excited to have the Millennial Ag Podcast be joining the network. It's been some time coming. So ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go listen to their podcast, you can do so now on the Global Ag Network website. But You can also listen to us on the Global Ag Network website. So if you want to catch up on any podcast you might have missed, be sure to do that this weekend. I'm a day early wishing you a happy weekend, but I just guess that I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself there. But with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.